Kala Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pell entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. This is the Friday program, and... This Friday in particular, all Fridays tend to be very, very fast-paced because what happens during the course of the week is I accumulate all sorts of things I'd like to discuss with you, and then inevitably when 3 o'clock rolls around on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, there's all sorts of things I haven't had a chance to discuss, so that gets put over in a pile, and I think I still want to talk about that. And then, of course, you've got the breaking news that we always want to talk about. And so Friday comes along, and I have a huge stack of stuff in front of me, all of which I want to discuss, so we're going to move through things as quickly as we possibly can. In addition, this is an exciting Friday because right around 2.55, baseball is back, and you will be able to hear it here on WTMJ. So our first pitch is about 2.55 or so. What that means is we're going to start our regularly scheduled Pop Culture Corner which is always the last half hour of the program on Fridays. We're going to start it a little bit earlier. And also, it's kind of a bittersweet day. I will explain that at the start of the 2 o'clock hour as well. So let's get right to it. Story in the local newspaper. Woodman's Food Market in Waukesha has been sued. Now, this story goes back a little bit, but apparently Woodman's uh, Supermarket is fighting this. They're being sued by two local gasoline station operators, a company that runs a a Shell station and another company that runs a BP station in the area of where Woodman's is out in Waukesha. The lawsuit alleges that Woodman's violated the Unfair Sales Act, which is also known as the Minimum Markup Law, um, back in 2021 by selling goods below cost. As we have talked about before on this program, including sometime earlier this week, Wisconsin is one of a handful of states that still has a Depression-era law, and and they call it the Unfair Sales Act, but it's, it's a minimum markup law. And the law says that for various goods, the retailers must mark them up. In the case of gasoline, for example, the markup has to be about 9% over what the cost is. Now, there are exceptions to that. And, for example, Woodman's is saying we didn't violate the law because even though we were selling it below the markup, we are allowed to do it because we were responding to what a Costco had done in the other area. So there are certain exceptions to it. But the, the text of the law says that you cannot sell gasoline with less than that 9% markup. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question is, why? Seriously, why? Is there anybody in Waukesha that was disadvantaged in any material way 
by going to Woodman's and buying gasoline at less than these other gas stations were charging. Somebody, when they heard my, my tease for this, sent me a text that showed a picture of a receipt that they had gone to Woodman's about a week or so ago and, and spent $3.79 a gallon for gasoline, presumably as opposed to paying, I don't know, four nineteen or four twenty nine or whatever. How in the world in 2022 is any consumer at all disadvantaged by being able to pay whatever amount that the particular seller offers it at. And let's think about this. If Woodman's, for example, decides that they want to sell gasoline as a loss leader, by by that I mean, let's say they want to sell gasoline at whatever their cost is, or actually even below cost, in order to get people in. If they say, hey, we've got our market research that says if people stop off at Woodman's and they buy gas, 85% of them are going to go into the store and they're going to buy stuff in the store. Why should not they be able to do it? This, and I was talking about this the other day, this plays out the same way when it comes to food. Around Thanksgiving, for example, the large national inserts that advertise, like, say, at a, at a Target or a Walmart, that the cost of food. You know, this, we've got this deal on cranberries or we've got this deal on turkeys. They, they can't run that in Wisconsin because it violates the minimum markup law. And my point is, in that case, if, if Target or Walmart or Pick and Save or wherever wants to sell turkeys at cost around Thanksgiving because they recognize that when people come in to buy the turkeys, they're likely to, I don't know, buy cranberries and buy corn and buy all the other stuff that goes with their Thanksgiving dinner. And if the retailer figures, hey, even by selling turkeys at cost, I I can make money by getting people in the door, why in the world should they not be allowed to do it? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, this stuff is the things that make my head explode. The history of this law goes back to the Depression. The thinking was that, gee, if when you only had a couple gas stations around, if you had one gas station that sold at cost, drives the other two gas stations in a 30-mile radius out of business, then what they're going to do is they're going to jack up their, their prices. Well, that's never really worked out in the real world. But even if it made sense in 1932, it doesn't make sense in 2022 because there's all sorts of different choices. And last time I checked, competition was good for the consumer. 855-616-1620. I don't, I don't know if Woodman's violated the Unfair Sales Act or, or not, but Woodman's shouldn't have to worry about it. Woodman's should be able to sell gas for whatever they choose to sell it at, and if they can make money, that's great. If they use it as a loss leader, that's great. This law is anti-consumer, and especially now when we're looking at gas prices going through the roof and inflation going through the roof, if there was ever a time to repeal the minimum markup law, it is now. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Don in Oshkosh. Don, good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Don. Uh, my, my comment is that uh, the little old guy on the corner gas station whose only means of income is selling gas, he can't sell it for less than he pays for it and stay in business. So okay. he's going to be out of business if he can't compete with Costco and Wood, Woodlands. Okay. So? So he goes out of business, I guess. Yeah, I, 
I mean, that's, I mean, Don, thanks for the call, but I mean, how, look, how, how far, that's, that's it. If you, you have to, if you can't compete on price, you have to find other ways that you compete. You can make that argument about, like, the local liquor stores and all, who, who can't compete on, on price because, I don't know, the Walmarts of the world and the Targets of the world have, have greater buyer, buying capacity. So they have to figure out a different way to, to compete, which is, okay, may, maybe they offer the, the t- tastings, maybe they offer higher service or, or whatever. But, you know, why, why is it that we're going to be protecting a, a business that cannot compete, under your theory, that, that can't compete um, on, on price? Why should the consumers have to, to pay more in order to, I don't know, keep a, a business afloat? All right, if you can't compete based on price, well then, okay, maybe you need to find a, another sort of business. Maybe you're in the wrong business. The argument, the only argument that was ever defending this, this, def, in, this depression era law was the idea that you would create a monopoly. You'd have the big company, you'd have Standard Oil of California that would come in and whatever, they, they run the, um, whatever stations, standard stations at the time, and they, they would run these stations, and there, there weren't other gas stations around, so they would undercut the prices, they would drive the other two gas stations out of business, and then they would ratchet up their prices. That was the justification for this in the Depression. That that's not a justification for this now because there's all sorts of competition that's out there. And as a practical matter, what would happen, let's say in the little town of Jeff, you only have three gas stations. One comes in, drives the other two off, and then jacks up the price. Well, you know what's going to happen? Then you're going to have investors that are going to come in and they're going to open up their own gas stations. I, I mean, it's so frustrating to me that we have so many conservatives that are supposedly free market people, but then they, they stop being free market people. When it comes to this, and it's the consumers that end up suffering. I don't think it's the responsibility of government to decide that you know we're going to keep businesses in business that cannot compete. And, and why do we do it with gas stations when we don't do it with other stores? I mean, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Tom in West Dallas. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I kind of second what the previous caller said. I don't know if this is necessarily uh, anti-consumer, more of it's a a, a pro-small business. And hear me out, I I used to run a few gas stations in Wauwatosa and Menominee Falls. 9% is already kind of slim margins comparatively to, like, other industries. And if you have a big place like Woodman's where they can sell below cost to bring those customers in, because that's exactly what they're trying to do, um, those small gas stations are going to suffer uh, not just because, uh, hey, they're selling it for a lower price, but things have changed so much in the last couple decades. You have uh, a lot less people going inside gas stations to purchase snacks and soda pots and things like that because of the pay-at-the-pump option. Um, so I, I know the consumer, we can we can kind of describe it as they're they're missing out here and they could be paying less, but I really feel this is protecting small business. And we're looking at it a gas station scenario right now, but I think this can be equated to, to many other scenarios where, like, a Starbucks, for example, it pushed out a lot of small, mm-hmm. independently owned coffee shops. And McDonald's, I think pushed, McDonald's, McDonald's pushed out a lot of mom-and-pop diners, and we never went in and we never stopped McDonald's, Tom, from, from being able to develop. Uh, 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 no, 
And and I totally agree. Uh, I think long term, though, the consumer will end up suffering because there's going to be a lot less options, um, a, a lot less of that neighborhoody type of, you know, sm- small mom and pop things. I, I think we're looking at mostly just, oh, this is what we're paying right now. But what, a, what are the effects long term? What does it make our neighborhoods look like? What does it make our communities look like? These areas might actually be a source for hey, in that Jeff small town that you were talking about, maybe the filling station on the corner is is where I had my first job or it's where my nephew's going to have his first job, and that's going to disappear because of uh, Woodman's that came in, took over, and just sold below cost. Well, well Tom, thanks to call. I appreciate it, but okay, I guess I have a couple of responses. First of all, if if the small business goes out, then then maybe your first job is at the Woodman's. <laughs> you know, and, and, and secondly, all I can tell you is the – Wisconsin is in the minority of states that that have a law like this. You you do not hear in other states that don't have the minimum markup law that there's no competition. It's again that that's kind of this reality that that's out there. It's not like you you go to one of the states that doesn't have this, like a Florida, for example. You're going to find local coffee shops. You're going to find Starbucks. You're going to have those places all over. If you go down to anywhere you go in Florida, it's not like you really need this. And, and yeah, I agree. I guess if if you want to consider it to be pro small business. Um, that might be fine, but it's also very much anti-consumer. And I, I don't mean to be cruel in this regard, but if a business can't compete, okay, that why should the consumers have to pay to subsidize that? I mean, we, we don't do that in, in other areas. Let, let's take the example of, of restaurants. If you have a restaurant, for example, that's serving crappy food, you know, we, we don't go in and we don't say, Okay, well, you know, we're going to make the other restaurants serve crappy food too, because you know we, you know, we, we people aren't going to you know Jeff's Diner because Jeff's Diner is serving awful food because they're going to these other places are serving better food. All right, we we don't say hey everybody's got it. You, you can't serve better food than they're serving at Jeff's Diner because people won't go to Jeff's Diner. My only point is, I think it is just extremely anti-consumer, I don't think government is in the business of saying, okay, we have to determine in a free market what sort of businesses should stay in business and what should not stay in business. To me, you've got to allow people to compete. Now, again, if at some point in time you, you end up with, with a monopoly, that, that's a whole different story. But historically, that is not what happened has happened over the last 90 years since we've had these laws in place. And I think moving forward, it's even less likely. I mean, look, let's, let's talk about you know, what's really going on here. You have some very, very powerful special interests like the, the the grocers league and things like that who who um you know end up they don't want this because they don't want to have to compete on price so they end up fighting this and so as a result you have legislators who are supposed to be pro consumer who are out there um just uh you know twiddling their thumbs nobody wants to come out and and forcefully defend the unfair sales act but nobody has the guts and i've said this to republicans and democrats both of them nobody has the guts to take on some of the special interests and stand up for the consumers. And given what is going on with inflation now, and given the fact that you've got costs going through the roof, my question is why? I mean, who in the world is hurt if you can go to Woodman's 
or Costco, and you can buy gasoline for $3.70 a gallon, or whatever the number is. I haven't checked it, what it is today. But let's say you can buy gas for three seventy at Woodman's, and it's four ten, you know, down the street. Explain to me why, you know, there's anything that's wrong with that. Why shouldn't businesses be able to price it? And, and yeah, I understand. That means that some businesses are going to go out of business. I, I get it. That's just kind of the reality because they're not able to compete. But that happens all the time where you have, I don't know, the small retailers who can't compete with uh, the clothes prices that they sell at the Walmarts or wherever. You have some of the big stores that compete against each other and, and some win, some lose. But for the government to say, at least in my opinion, that consumers have to pay more than somebody wants to charge, I just don't think that's the role of government, period. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Outdoor Living Unlimited. Are you ready to transform your ho-hum backyard into a luxurious oasis? If so, good news. Your dream patio is within reach. Outdoor Living Unlimited has the experience, the skills, and the products to turn your vision into reality. Get a free quotation today and contact Outdoor Living Unlimited at 262-567-4513 or visit them at OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. One of our texters, just before we move on, makes a great point. So, Jeff, in business nowadays, price is not necessarily the differentiator. Value-added customer services is where the competitive advantages are. Absolutely correct. So, look, this might mean that just because the Woodman's is selling gas for less, all right, so what does that company that's going to compete against them have to do? They have to come up and they have to offer some different services to, to make up for that. So maybe they have to have great deli sandwiches, or, or maybe they, I don't know, have to, maybe they have to offer to put air in your tires or something like that for free. All those different things that you have to compete. But it's a free market. And when did we suddenly decide that capitalism and competing and actually letting people decide how much they want want to charge for their goods and services when did that become a bad thing welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj cover five really is a a lot of fun you know we've got the thing going on with the ncaa now for the last several years i I played in this cover five football league and and what you do is you the way the football league works is every week you pick five teams against the the spread, and then you know it, and you get total numbers, and they accumulate the numbers week after week. And at the end of the year, the people with the most points end up winning. And the um, I think I, I think I won the first year I did it, and then I've just been awful at it for the last few years. But it is a lot of fun, and it's for those of people who don't want to invest all the time that fantasy football takes and like watching all the the stats and doing the trades. Cover five is just a lot of fun, and this NCAA thing. Is great so you still got time to participate so um be sure to go ahead and do that what what a horrible story what a horrible story here involving this this collision in texas on tuesday night that ended up killing nine people and the more details that come out about it the the worse this is if you haven't been following this what ends up happening is there's there's a, a van um, a pickup truck is driving one way, 
and there's a, a van carrying all these these college golfers, uh, six New Mexico college students, and, and and their golf coach. And apparently, what what happens is the pickup truck, which is heading one way, ends up the the tire. They're, apparently, the the vehicle is being driven on a spare tire, which my my guess is. It's probably in really crummy conditions. The speed limit in the area, I don't know how fast the cars are going, but the speed limit on this road is like 75 miles an hour. What happens is the the spare tire blows on the pickup truck. The pickup truck then swerves. The driver of the pickup truck loses control, swerves, and you end up having this head-on. And the driver of the pickup truck and the 38-year-old passenger, I'll get to that in just a minute in the pickup truck, they're killed, and you have um, six members of the golf team and the coach who are are killed as, as well. It's this horrible story. Now, you might say to me, Jeff, how could this awful story get even worse? Well, now the National Transportation Safety Board is coming out, and they're apparently saying that the driver of the car the driver of the pickup truck, that is, that, that lost control, 13 years old. 13 years old. And the passenger was, I believe, his 38-year-old father. A 13-year-old child was behind the wheel of the pickup truck, the NTSB says. They think the left front tire of the pickup truck was a spare tire, failed, caused the truck to go into the opposing lane of traffic, and then hits this van. Posted speed limit is 75 miles an hour. So, I mean, I don't exactly know how fast they were going, but you know that they're going fast. But the dazzling detail, again, is who has a 13-year-old driving a car, period, right? Who has a 13-year-old driving a car in a speed limit that goes 75 miles an hour? I mean, if, if you want to say, gee, I'm trying to teach my kid how to drive a car or something, and, and so you know, we're taking him on this back road at the age of 13. That's illegal. It's a bad idea. But we're on this back road, and we're going 20 miles an hour. I've taken him over to the, I don't know, the high school parking lot, and I'm trying to show him and get him familiar with how you drive. I think you can argue that that's a bad idea. But, but you want to talk about a bad idea with, with hair on it. That's, let's take a 13-year-old. Let's put him behind the wheel of the car and let's have him out driving 75 miles an hour now i don't know given the fact that the the tire was apparently a bad tire and it blows i don't know if if the adult would have been able to avoid this either i mean once that tire blows what do you do at a high speed but having a 13 year old behind the wheel certainly didn't help and and so far we we haven't gotten any toxicology behind the matter so you, you don't know you don't know if the 38-year-old had been drinking or whatever, and say, "Here, you, you, you drive, son," or, or whatever. You don't, you don't know any of those circumstances, but it doesn't matter. What sort of idiot lets a 13-year-old kid behind the wheel of a car? And as so often happens, and I guess this is one of the reasons that this stuff just rankles me. It, and it, it's like with the reckless driving at all as well. If, if, for example, you want to drive 95 miles an hour and blow through red lights and then you hit in a pole, you know, drive into a pole and you end up killing yourself. That, that, that's a horrible thing, but it's a decision you made. Unfortunately, when we're dealing with, with automobiles, it's not your bad decisions don't just affect you. 
your bad decisions affect other people, and this is a classic example of that. The 13-year-old loses control of the, the vehicle, and, and you've got seven people that are dead and two others that are, are seriously injured as a result of it. The 13-year-old's dead, and the 38-year-old passenger is dead as well. So it's not just like a bad decision that directly affects you, but seriously, who lets a 13-year-old kid drive any sort of car, much less a car that probably shouldn't have been out on the road, and much less a car that was going probably at least 75 miles an hour. Absolutely stunning. Okay, when we come back, let's talk about a sporting event that's something other than the basketball tournament. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I need to do just an explanatory comment before going into this topic because I understand there's people out there who want to misinterpret things that that we say when we talk about some of these issues. Here, Here is the deal. I don't care about somebody's sexual orientation. It makes no difference to me. Straight, gay, doesn't matter. I have friends who are straight. I have friends who are gay. I don't care. It, it just, to me, it's are you a good person? It does, doesn't matter to me what your sexual orientation is. I don't care. That, that period. It, you know, that each individual decides that. In the same vein, I understand that there are a certain percentage of, of people who are in fact transgender. I, I get that, that there are people who, you know, are, are born physically, they are a male, but it's really, it's it's the female trapped inside the male body, or, or vice versa. I have no problem with individuals who are transgender. I have no problem with transgender individuals who at a certain point decide, okay, I, I want to change. I want to go through the different treatments, etc., etc., and I, I want to... I was born a male, but I identify as a female, so I want to take all the hormones and do these therapies, and, and I want to I want to become, for all intents and purposes, I want physically to align with what my identification is. I don't care about that. It does, if that's if that's you, that is fine. I have no problem with that. So don't say, oh, you're homophobic. Don't say you're you're transgender phobic with what I'm about to say, because I'm not. I don't care. But at the same time. I think it's also fair to recognize the reality. And the reality is when it comes to physical things, boys and girls, men and women are are different. Okay? Males are are bigger. The body structure of of males is different than the body structure of females. The internal organs of somebody who is born as a male is different from the internal structure of, or organs of, of somebody who's been built a female, which is you know why women give birth and, and things like that. It, but it's it's different, and, and that's just the reality. Which brings me to the story of transgender swimmer Leah Thomas. Um, if you haven't been following this. Um, Leah Thomas became the first transgender athlete to win a NCAA swimming title. And uh, now has also, I think, advanced uh, the, yesterday or late last night, I think, advanced to a, to a second one. So here's, here's the deal. Leah Thomas, who was born Will Thomas, has been a, a, a swimmer since she was five years old. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the deal that, that's been there. And Leah Thomas, who was born Will Thomas, was a swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania. It was a high school swimmer, 
did okay, was a, a competitive swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania, and was a, I'm going to, I don't mean this in insulting fashion at all, but was a, a good, but not a great, not a world-class swimmer as a male. Well, at the end of high school, then Will Thomas, now Leah Thomas, started questioning their, their sexuality and st- started thinking, okay, look, I'm questioning their gender identity. That's the actual term for it. And then, you know, came to the conclusion a couple years ago that, hey, they were transgender. Okay, fine. Thomas swam on the men's team um, in 2018 and 2019 at Penn and did okay, o- okay, competitive, but but not not great, wasn't winning NCAA tournament titles, and then began transitioning, taking the hormone replacement therapy, etc., came out as transgender to her team in the fall of 2019, swam for the men's team at Penn 2019 to 2020 as a junior, and then starting last year, um, 2021, began swimming for the women's team. Now, if you look at Leah Thomas, Leah Thomas... Again, it's gone through the hormone therapy, but she has the physical body structure that she was born with, which is essentially as a male, all right? And she has been dominating the female classifications because, again, it's not taking anything away from female athletes, but they're built differently. And that's why, as a general rule, you don't have men competing against women. So, like I say, yesterday she she won her first freestyle. She won her first swimming title. Um, she's in line to win a couple more, and it's it's really caused this huge, huge issue in the competitive community. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just don't think this is right. And, and again, this isn't, does she have the right to change her gender gender identity? Of course not. I don't care about that. But it doesn't seem to me to be right to take somebody who is essentially biologically a male, with the, the male build, with the male strength, and allow them to compete against females. And I think the problem with this is, as this goes on, you essentially force women out of women's sports. That's where I think the really big deal is because I think a lot of the female swimmers are saying, hey, we're essentially competing against a guy. We, we understand she's taken hormones and things like that, but for purposes of competition, she has an advantage over us. Just look at the fact that as Will Thomas, um, he was a good swimmer, but not he's not won an NCAA titles. But as Leah Thomas now competing against women with essentially the same body structure, they're, they're dominating. 855-616-1620, it just doesn't strike me as fair. She has every right to change her gender, no question about it. But should she also then be allowed to compete against, in this case, women? Doesn't she have an inherently unfair advantage? 855-616-1620, we discuss. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I I understand that there are people out there who are truly homophobic or transphobic, but th- that's not what this issue is. This is to me a fundamental question of fairness. And here you have this transgender woman who born a male, 
swam competitively as a male until a couple years ago and then decided that, that okay that this was they wanted to alter their gender identity they took the hormones but they've still essentially got the body of, of a male and goes from a, a good but a middling competitive swimmer as a male to now dominating or winning NCAA titles as a female how is that fair to the true females who are competing because aren't they at a biological disadvantage if that's the case do we just do we need to get rid of do, do we need to go co-ed sports period and just say okay well we're going to have the women compete with the men etc etc et or do you need to create a special category perhaps to allow the transgender athletes to compete against each other which I think is you know I think you know maybe that's the argument, but there's really I, it's only a small number of people who are are transgender. But part of the concern is that it's I think this has a potential for significantly hurting women's sports because because how how do you compete? Okay, your your daughter who is biologically a female who identifies as a female you know playing on ba- a basketball team for example you know trying to get a scholarship or something and then all of a sudden you're going to compete against somebody who is biologically born as a male who's also a good basketball player but maybe as a as a male isn't a great basketball player but all of a sudden you shift them over and you have them competing against females. Isn't that unfair? Jeff, this is so upsetting to me. Like you, I have no problem with someone's sexual orientation. However, I believe there's an absolute disadvantage here for all the female swimmers competing. She has shoulders and arm length and height of a man, and, and that is, I think, fundamentally unfair. Um, Jeff, I think it's totally unfair. Boxing has different classes because different body types have an advantage over other body types. Um, you know, maybe to combat this issue, sports needs to move in this direction. She can still compete in a woman, but maybe just as a different body class. I don't know. Jeff, you would think she would have figured out her advantage. Apparently, she's okay with it despite um, her competitors. Well, I, I, I understand. Yes, yeah, she is clearly, you know, a she is clearly happy with it. I just, I guess, I think this is a situation where the biology has to control. And I don't think, unless it's a sport where it's going to be co-ed, you're going to have men competing against women. I don't think this is a fundamentally fair thing. And I think, from the perspective of trying to protect the field, that is to protect the other female competitors, that's what you want to do. Jeff, seventy male high school track athletes hold times faster than female Olympic. Champions. Champion Jackie Joyner. I don't know if that's correct. It's one of our textures, but let's say, yeah, that's. I mean, that just gives you the the idea, and that that men and women are different when it comes to physical stuff. I mean, if and then again, seventy male high school track athletes hold times faster than female Olympic champion, you know, Jackie Joyner. So let's say you have one of those high school runners who decides that okay they they identify they want to change their gender identity because they legitimately are the the female trapped in the boy's body why should they then be able to go is it fair to have them be able to go over and then compete and dominate just i I think it's it's a bad trend and i understand you can't say that without fear of being labeled as homophobic or transphobic or whatever i don't think that's what this is all about this is about protecting the integrity of female sports. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So yesterday afternoon, after the program, my, my wife and I ran out and we were meeting my sister-in-law and her husband and a couple of our friends for, for a drink. And the place that we went, believe it or not, did, did, did not have the Marquette NCAA basketball game on, at least in the beginning. So the deal was, I said, okay, here, here's the deal. We, I really, I, I, we'll stay here, we'll have a quick drink, and then, you know, for the second half at least, we got to find a place where the game is on. So everybody agreed to that. So I, I wasn't able to watch the, the game. So um, after it had been going on for about 20 minutes, I pull out my phone, I check on the score, and needless to say, by the time halftime rolls around, it's 53 to 25 or something silly like that, at which point in time I said, hey, we're having fun here. I, I, it's just a debacle. We, we don't need to, to go anywhere else. So last evening, I'm, I'm on my Twitter account. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 And my posting was, if you had Marquette and 31 points, guess what? You still lost. Lost. A complete late-season collapse and a blowout NCAA loss. The new boss looks a lot like the old boss. Yeah, for the last several years, Marquette has just fallen apart at the end of the season. And this is another one of those examples. And you don't know why. And I understand people are saying they've outperformed expectations. And I'm a fan. I I get it. But, man, kind of tough to watch. That was just just an embarrassing result. So anyhow, as I'm still kind of licking my wounds about Marquette being just destroyed in the NCAA tournament, the news comes out that the Green Bay Packers are trading Devontae Adams to the Las Vegas Raiders for two 22 draft picks. The Raiders' first pick, which I think is the 22nd pick in the draft, and their second round pick, which is going to be somewhere like in the early 50s. Devontae Adams, you know, moving on. They're also going to pay him $140 million over five years. They're going to be making him the highest paid receiver in, in the game, all of which is, is, is great. Now, I know on our sports channels and stuff, on our, our, our sister station, for example, ESPN, I know people are dissecting this, and I, I, I always defer to the folks who make a living trying to analyze these things. And, and maybe I'm being a contraindicator here, but you know what? I don't think this is necessarily the end of the world for Packers fans. First of all, Devontae Adams didn't want to play here anymore. Now, I give Adams credit because he he wasn't... He was clearly unhappy with the state of contract negotiations, you know, leading, you know, in through the last season, didn't get the long-term deal he wanted up on, but but he wasn't whining. You didn't hear him complaining in the public um, in this offseason. You haven't heard him public talking about how he demanded to be traded or anything like that. Now, maybe, you know, behind the scenes there were these things going on, but, but that's okay. I at least give him credit because I think he handled this whole thing like a, a professional. So you have that in the situation. He wanted to leave. The reports are the Packers offered to match this deal, and he said no. Well, okay, he wants to go to Las Vegas, and he wants to have Derek Carr throwing in passes instead of um, Aaron Rodgers. Well, we'll see how that works out. But this is what I posted on my Twitter account, and I'm curious as to what you think. Adams had a great career as a Packer. But $140 million over five years for an almost 30-year-old receiver is a pretty steep price. I say take the draft picks, 
plus the salary cap space, which, by the way, is going to let you re-sign a couple of the key players from last year that you'd otherwise lose, um, maybe maybe go out, you know, draft a receiver, maybe two receivers, you know, with these picks that you got. The Packers now have four picks in the first two rounds. Maybe try to take some of that extra money, sign another free agent wide receiver that's out there. So I said take the draft picks plus the salary cap space. Wish him good luck catching passes from Derek Carr. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I don't think Devontae Adams is a bad guy. I think he handled this whole thing with a degree of class. He apparently wants out of Green Bay. And I, I think you can argue maybe the Packers should have got more. I, all commentators are all over the map on this. Some people are saying the Packers should have got more. I see other commentators saying that for a 29, 30-year-old receiver who probably is going to have trouble He's got maybe a couple of really super years left that this is grossly overpaying. I mean, I don't know, but I think this is a fair deal. And you know what? I think I think there could have been worse things than this, and I think the Packers will recover. 855-616-1620, which takes nothing away from the type of player that Dante Adams, Devontae Adams was. And he comes back to Green Bay. He should be applauded at some point in time. I mean, recognized by the fans. So I, I don't think there's any hard feelings. But at the same time, I don't think this is the worst thing in the world for the Packers. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Let's start with John in Waukesha. John, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I think his departure is going to make Aaron Rodgers a better quarterback because it's going to force Aaron to throw to the other receivers that we have. Devontae was too much of his security blanket. Mm-hmm. Whenever things weren't going good, he had to keep looking for Devontae. Other guys were open. So basically, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to miss Devontae, but I think it's going to make Aaron a better quarterback. Yeah, no, th- thanks for the call. I, 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 I agree. I mean, clearly they had a great relationship, and I don't, I don't mean to say anything to take away from what a good receiver Devontae Adams was, but other teams double-teamed him, triple-teamed him, and Rodgers did have this problem of focusing in on him to the exclusion of other players. Now other players are going to have to step up, and I don't wish Devontae Adams ill will. I, I don't, but just... You reach a certain point and you reach a certain age, and maybe he's going to go on and he's going to continue to have these kind of all-pro years, and, 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 and that's, that's, that's fine. I don't wish him any ill will, but think about all the, the great Packers receivers that have gone somewhere else. Has any of them really excelled? I mean, has any of them really excelled? And I mean, I understand Devontae Adams is very close friends with Derek Carr, who's the Raiders' underperforming quarterback. But do you think he's going to be able to put up anywhere near the numbers having Derek Carr throwing passes as Aaron Rodgers throwing passes? And and look, in a perfect world, you keep your teams intact. But we don't live in a perfect world. The Packers had huge salary cap problems. Now this gives them draft picks. It gives them financial flexibility. I think you could do you could go farther and do worse. 855-616-1620. We continue the conversation in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, are you ready for your shining moment? Tune in all day next Tuesday, March 22nd, for what we're calling Selection Tuesday, sponsored by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Throughout the day, each WTMJ show will take four callers. You call, you get a team playing in the big tournament. If your team wins it all, free pizza for a year. Free pizza for a year. How cool is that? It's the Palermo's Pizza Bracket Challenge on WTMJ. Now, I understand the, the other 
there, there's a lot of big sports stories that are going on. For for example, if you somehow have forgotten, two fifty five this afternoon. Baseball is back. First exhibition game. You can hear it on WTMJ. You've got my Marquette Warriors, Golden Eagles, whatever. Uh, disappointing end to the season yesterday. Wisconsin Badgers playing their first game in the NCAA tournament in Milwaukee tonight. How cool is that going to be? And then you've you've got the news. Green Bay Packers breaking. And a lot of people are surprised. Devontae Adams, whose contract was up, the Packers had used what they call the franchise tag on him, which is where they could limit his ability to go somewhere else, and they had agreed to pay him $20 million. But they had been unable to reach a long-term agreement. And this has been going on for a while, and and I I don't know what the real story is behind this. I don't know if we ever are. Maybe Devontae Adams felt that he was disrespected because they they didn't do his long-term contract extension earlier. I I don't know, but, but whatever, Devontae Adams... I think he carried himself like a professional. He didn't whine publicly about his dissatisfaction with the no long no extension um, during the season last year. He came out, he played, didn't create a distraction during the off season, and now he's a free agent. And apparently, he just told him, "I don't, I don't want to come back. I'm not going to play for the franchise tag. I don't want to be here anymore." And so the Packers cut a deal. They traded him to Las Vegas. They got a first round pick and a second round pick. Um, they knocked twenty million dollars off their salary cap, which is going to let them re-sign a couple of their players that they wouldn't have been otherwise been able to re-sign, and, and maybe go out and, and maybe bring somebody else in in free agency. On top of that, they've got two additional draft picks, giving them four draft picks in the first two rounds. I, I think it's a win-win situation all over. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line um jeff you're a smart man thank you take the best wide receivers over the last two decades randy moss terrell owens aj green antonio brown look at their production in the 30s compared to the 20s it's not as good now couple not having 12 throwing the ball to adams anymore i think it's a great job on this move by the packers it's vegas's money problem now and we have cap space for others yeah i think that's how you I think that's how you have to look at it. Jeff, I think he was sick of dealing with the Packers drama. Maybe. I, I think, I mean, again, I, I don't know. More likely, my guess is he felt disrespected because th- they didn't make a commitment and sign him to a long-term deal earlier on. At the end, apparently, they offered to match the deal, but he had already decided he wanted to go somewhere else. Okay, I, I respect that. Understand it. And I, I think you end up having to move on. Would the Packers be better next year with Devontae Adams catching passes than not? Probably. But at the same time, big picture, you know, you've got two, a first-round draft pick, a second-round draft pick, and money freed up to bring other players back. So, yeah, maybe, you know, you look at the big picture, you know, maybe this maybe this is sort of a blessing in disguise. Jeff, I agree with you. It's great that Devontae got paid, but the Packers get a good trade, and Rodgers can throw to anyone. Jeff, I love this trade. We need to get cheaper and younger and faster. I only wish they would have traded Aaron Rodgers, too. They could have rebuilt the team for the next decade, and they blew it. Well, see, no, I don't, I don't necessarily agree, because I think it's a lot easier to replace a wide receiver like Devontae Adams, as great as Devontae Adams is, taking nothing away from him, I think it's a lot easier to replace him than it would be to re- replace an, an Aaron Rodgers. Now, time will tell um, as to how you know this all works out. I guess we'll we'll see. But I, I think. 
what you have to realize is that, um, you know, you, you got to move on sometimes. Devontae just guaranteed himself to never be a Super Bowl champion. Derek Carr is not Aaron Rodgers. Well, I do, I do think, and again, I want to say this without without in any way disrespecting how good a wide receiver I think Devontae Adams is. But if you look, again, at all the different receivers who left the Green Bay Packers, especially, you know, when they were in that 29- to 30-year-old age range, none of them put up anywhere near the numbers that, that they did when they were with Aaron Rodgers. Maybe part of that was the fact that they were getting older, and there is kind of a drop-off, especially in with wide receivers. There, there's a drop-off. I think part of it's got to be the fact that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is very, very good at what he does. I understand there's all sorts of issues that come with Aaron Rodgers, and we've talked about that before, but I think he makes the people around him a lot better, including the wide receivers. So, you know, time you know, time will tell as to how this works out. Jeff, I believe wide receiver Amari Rogers will have a breakout year. Well he was kind of a bust as a as a pick. Um he was kind of a bust as a pick, but maybe he will get better. Tom in Hartford. Tom you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, thanks for your keep putting sure. me on. Uh, I don't think after after this is gone now to Las Vegas with uh Devontae, you're going to hear a lot of his name because Derek Carr is nowhere near the quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is. And also, I love the guy, uh, Devontae, but we got this boy named Lazard. Uh-huh. He's coming around pretty darn good. He might be he might be a, a star for the Packers if Aaron Rodgers gets to him. He was getting to him a lot this past year. Yeah, Tom, thanks for the call. Now there's reports that the Packers, um, before they were going to um, – the, the wide receiver, um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who was, I mean, was, was starting to perform. He had some problems with dropping the ball. But I think, you know, the Packers wanted to bring him back. They didn't have room under the salary cap. Now, apparently, they're, they're, they're in the running to get him back. You've got a couple draft picks, again, in the wide receiver class. I, I, I defer to, again, on my friends at our, our sister station for all the, the draft analysis and stuff. But the stuff I was reading last night suggests that this is going to be a good year for that the wide receiver class is kind of stacked, and the thinking would be in the first and second round, you can get a, a couple real potential talents. Now, it takes a little while to learn the position, and I, I get that, and any time you, you pick somebody in the draft, you just never know how they're going to turn out, but you, at some point in time, you end up having to move on. So I guess if, if I'm a Packers fan like I am, I, I'm not jumping off a bridge. I'm not mad at Devontae Adams. I'm not mad at the Packers. Packers, I think, tried to step up to keep him, but I think there, there's worse things. Now, you know, maybe, you know, maybe if the passing game completely and totally breaks down next year, we'll think differently. But right now, I think this might be one of these deals that works out well for everybody. And you've got to wish Devontae Adams well, and you got to hope that the Packers know what they're doing. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's a story in the local newspaper that's causing some people to say, I told you so. It's causing me to say, you're you're missing the point. You're not asking the right question. Here's the headline. Milwaukee County spends $420,000 per juvenile imprisonment this year as officials see a rise in cost. And it goes on to say the county had been expecting to pay for about 17 youth per day to be held at state prisons. Now they're projecting to have to pay for closer to 30 youth 
per day. Um, and so the, the costs are, are going up. So the argument is this is why we shouldn't send the, these, these juvenile criminals to, to youth facilities, to which that, that's not the right question. Yes, we, you got to work. If you are a juvenile, you have to work to get sent to a juvenile detention facility. It is not easy. And you, generally speaking, the, the people that are in these facilities are very, very dangerous people who uh, are, in many cases, repeat offenders and things like that. So to me, the question isn't, gee, you know, we're now up from 17 youth to 30 youth per day, because the truth is you should probably be at 50 or 60 or 70 or more. To me, the overriding question is, how can it cost $420,000 a year for every youth that is housed at one of these prisons. That is an insane huge number. It, it just, there's no way it should be that much money. Now, maybe that means we have to look at some of the things that I've been talking about for a while, like let's, are there cheaper ways of, of protecting the public and still incarcerating these people? Like maybe should we be exploring concepts like boot camp and things like that? So to me, the, some people are going to look at these numbers and say, oh, this is just this is crazy expensive. We can't afford it. That's why we, we can't send these people who should be off the streets. We can't send them to, to prison. My answer is no, you've got to send them to prison. But my comment is you've got to figure out how to house them in a cheaper fashion. $420,000. I mean, what are we doing? Renting them apartments in River Hills, for goodness sakes? $420,000 per juvenile criminal? That is absolutely insane. And this is one where you want to find some aggressive accountant to start looking at the way the money is being spent and figure out, hey, there's got to be ways that we can do this for a lot less. And maybe what we can do is even find ways to expand the facilities that we have so we can take more of these dangerous people get them off the streets, and then house them for less money. That's the story. How can it cost $420,000 a year? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, hear me out on this. I have been arguing since the beginning of Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine that Vladimir Putin made a huge mistake. And I think that's become more and more valid over the course of the last four weeks. Vladimir Putin believed that his army could just storm into Ukraine, essentially take over a country of 40 million people. And I think he also calculated that that army would be viewed as liberators and would be loved by, by the populace. All right, well, none, none of that has happened. The military invasion has stalled, and in some cases, they're, they're not only stalled, but they're being pushed back. I don't think he understood in any way, shape, or form the resistance he was going to get from Ukrainians. Secondly, you have essentially the free world, and like NATO, for example, they can't agree on anything. NATO has agreed that this is an act of aggression, and all the countries, pretty much many, not all, but most of the countries in the world, certainly in the West, have united against this war of aggression. You have the sanctions that are put in place, and those sanctions are hurting. I think Putin 
for many people, there was this image that the Russian military was this unstoppable monster that, that could not, they were just going to move in and take over. And that hasn't happened. And so now I think there's a lot of strategists looking at this and saying, you know, the Russian military threat, it's not what we thought it was. Yes, and I understand they've got nuclear weapons, and I understand that they can send cruise missiles in. But as far as the, the army itself, it's, it's not prepared for what's happening. And now you're seeing massive losses. Now, I don't know. It's tough in the fog of war to cut through what the propaganda is. But it's very, very clear that Russia has lost thousands and thousands of troops in, in this war, and it doesn't appear to be ending. So this idea of this invincibility of, of Russia, it's clearly been, been damaged. So, okay, what's the other mistake that perhaps Putin has made? And it goes back to something that happened today with the president, President Biden, having a conference with the uh, leader of China. China, which is, of course is Russia's remaining the one big ally that it hopes to have. China has, interestingly, it was viewed, I think a lot of people viewed as China might want to come in on the side of Russia and view this as the opportunity to form this kind of new coalition which was going to create a new world order against the West. Right? That was always, I think, a bit of a problem because China isn't Russia when it comes to their relations with the rest of the world. As, as we've talked about frequently, Russia is, for all intents and purposes, a gas station. That's what it provides the rest of, of the world, energy. China, on the other hand, has very, very complicated trade relations with the United States and, and with the West. And, and I don't know that China thinks it is in their interest moving forward to just completely abandon those trade relations. On top of that, I think China kind of bought into this myth of the Russian superiority. And I think China thought, hey, this is, this is going to be a walkover for Putin. They're going to take Ukraine. And now China is seeing that the Russian military isn't what they thought it was, that it's not necessarily able to accomplish this. And they're also seeing what is going on in Russia, uh, in Ukraine, on a daily basis, which is Putin, as Putin becomes more and more desperate, he, he's lashing out. There's more and more attacks on civilian sources and things like resources and, and things like that as we now get to a point where I don't know what victory would look like for Russia, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, yes, you can continue the military assault. And as I said in prior shows, maybe you can take you can take Kiev, for example. Maybe at some point you can do that, but you're going to be dealing with insurgencies for forever. I mean, you've bought yourself a huge battle constantly and, and nobody necessarily knows what the exit strategy is meanwhile in many parts of the world you are viewed as a pariah and i think china's looking at that and saying okay we we, we want russia as an ally but is this really the, the is this really the team we want to be with as we're trying to reach out and present this image to the rest of the world that even though we are a totalitarian nation, we we can be a world superpower as well? I think what's happened over the course of the last several weeks has driven China away from Russia and, and maybe – and I hope I'm right on this, maybe to the point that, you know, China, I don't. I think it would be naive to say, okay, it's, it's a new era of a thawing relationship between China and the United States. But I, I, think, I think things are going to get better between China and the United States, at least in the short term, because it's more in China's interest to be associated with the winners 
as opposed to the losers who are acting out in this aggressive fashion. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the, the question is, could, could what Russia is doing actually push China closer to us? And my answer is yes. I, I think that that's a definite possibility, given the fact that things are not developing like Russia thought the invasion was going to develop. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think? We discuss in a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, I guess if you want to argue the other side, say, Jeff, you're, you're wrong, and you want to argue, hey, that the failures that Russia has had in this invasion might actually drive them closer to, to China, I guess the argument would be Russia is now more dependent. I mean, they're, given how badly this, this war is going as far as uh, being able to accomplish its objectives and things, maybe that now makes Russia dependent, so they go to China hat in hand and you know curry favors with China. I guess that's one theory, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I, I think what you're seeing is that I think that China is, is looking at this, and there's some CIA reports that suggest this. First of all, China is just kind of the word that's being used is unsettled by the ugliness of Russia's war in the Ukraine. Um, they're concerned about being associated with Putin right now because, again, China China is different than Russia. China has all sorts of trading partners with the West. It's not just like a giant gas station. And I think some of the reports are also that, that China, I think, thought they bought into this myth of, of the Russian bear. And they, they thought, well, this, you know, we, we don't. We don't need to get involved in this, and we can just kind of stand by because the Russian military is just going to crush Ukraine. And and that, of course, is not what's happened, and it's very clear that it's not going to happen. So I think you can make a strong argument that it's in China's interest to say, hey, this is our opportunity to come in and try to broker some sort of peace. And what we're going to do is we're certainly not going to escalate the matter by sending arms to Russia because Russia is not going to win this conflict. You know, we we can send we can send arms to Russia, and, and maybe we can help prolong the conflict. But at the end of the day, all we're doing then is picking a fight with the West, who are our trade partners. No, I. I, I think there's been some bad miscalculations here, and I think the longer this goes on, if anything, this might actually bring the U.S. a little bit closer to China. Go figure. Let's talk to Gianni and Montello. Gianni, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mr. Wagner. And again, your analysis is spot on. Um, yeah, the, the more images, the more images of bodies of women and children and old the elderly coming out of Ukraine in the rubble in the rubble you know they're deceased and they have to now we have to they have to bury their dead this goes around the world instantaneously and it looks really bad and China these guys are smart over there so they're going to look at this and 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 as time goes on further distance themselves from from uh, from this guy Putin. And and by the way, I, I think it's ironic that a man who claims claims to uh, you know be be um, uh, fluent in German, he spent time in Eastern Germany. Uh, he doesn't really understand uh, the history of of, of European uh, despots. Uh, Mussolini, Ceausescu, um, yeah. Hitler. What happened to these people? Their their bodies were dragged in the streets. You know, or they yeah. were hung up, or they were you know. 
they had after Hitler killed himself, his body supposedly was burned. These guys go down in flames, and Mr. Putin has miscalculated immensely. Johnny, thanks for the call. I, 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 first of all, I agree with you. Secondly, I, I certainly hope that that you're you're right. I, I mean, I think this was a huge miscalculation on on so many parts. And uh, again, I think he thought that the the Ukrainians would greet him differently than he had, not as an occupying force. I don't think he thought they would put up the resistance. But let's look at. It. I mean, we're we're going on you know a month into this invasion, and the Soviet Union it isn't. The, the, Russia, I'm sorry, Russia isn't taking over. They're, they're not advancing. Yet, yes, they're killing civilians right and left. And going back to where we're starting with, okay, if, if you're China, who wants to be a superpower and has all these, who is a superpower, who has all these relationships with the West, do you want to be associated with that? As, and especially say, okay, well, I, I can provide Russia with arms and I can try to get involved in this, but th- does Russia have a chance to win? What is What is the end game for at this point in time for China getting involved on the side of Russia. How does that benefit China? Okay, maybe it, it okay drives Russia a little bit closer to them, but Russia is kind of an international pariah right now, and, and that, that reality is not going to change. I think as far as over the last 30 years, since the, the fall of, of the old USSR, since the Berlin Wall comes down and things like that, you, you've seen a lot of private enterprises in the West that have become involved in Russia, and that's why you see the McDonald's, and you see the Starbucks, and you see all these, you know, different things. That that's They've taken two steps back, and I mean, I don't know that you're, you're never going to see Western investment in, in Russia again. I'm not bold enough to say that, but it's going to take a while. This is not something that, hey, you you cut a peace deal tomorrow, and, and I don't know what the peace deal is. It's a ceasefire, and Ukraine agrees to cede certain territories, and they agree not to become a member of NATO, and Russia agrees to stop bombing. Okay, even if that happens tomorrow, you think all of a sudden all these U.S. countries that have seen uh, companies that have seen all this happen, you think suddenly they're going to start investing hundreds of millions or billions of dollars back in Russia, given how unpredictable this regime is? No way. It's just not going to happen. Russia has, at least on the world stage, from an economic standpoint, they, they've set themselves back decades. And I don't exactly know how they, they end up getting over it. But I, if I'm China, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, why do I want to get involved in this? So, and, and quite candidly, neutrality Neutrality is just absolutely fine. You'd love them to start putting pressure on Russia to try to settle the matter. That would be the ideal sort of situation and figure out if there is some sort of diplomatic off-ramp, as we've been talking about. I don't know. And the longer the, the bombardments go on and the more you're lobbing cruise missiles into civilian areas and things like that, the more difficult you know that ends up becoming and the more desperate Russia becomes. But if I'm China and I'm looking at this and it's like, why? Russia's losing. Why do I want to get involved in the middle of this neutrality or maybe even i don't know send some subtle signals to putin that you know he, he's got to back off and if he doesn't there will be consequences back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner wtmj and this is jeff wagner my, my comment here starts with heavy sigh it, it, on, on yesterday's program, I, I just, I, I, I admit I got up on my soapbox about the, this ongoing 
battle. There, there, I still believe it is just it is a relative handful of people who get magnified because this is the media narrative, who, who legitimately believe that the election was quote unquote stolen and it can be decertified. And and as I've described, this this is a kook theory. I'm I'm sorry if anybody thinks that. U.S. Marshal that Wisconsin is going to take back its 10 electoral votes um, for Joe Biden in 2020. Now we're in 2022, and Arizona is going to do the same, and Michigan's going to do the same, and U.S. Marshals are going to walk into the Oval Office and frog march Joe Biden out and put Donald Trump back in. You are a kook, and, and you might like to hear that, but but that's the. That's the reality of this. And I understand there's some people out there that are obsessed with this. And I keep saying what you need to do is focus on the future. I mean, concentrate on the next election. Figure out, you know, what's really important to people as opposed to obsessing on this stuff. Speaker of the uh, Assembly, Robin Voss, I understand is arguably the lead Republican in the state. He, he's got to finesse the, the fringe and the rest of the people. So, you know, the other day he has this meeting and it, it doesn't really end satisfactorily because he won't go along with the crazies who think that you can decertify the election. But he does say, I think there was widespread fraud. And now that's the headline that how he's emboldened election deniers without delivering the decertification. That, that's what the headline is. And it's his phrase, I think there was widespread fraud. That, and then he refuses to explain it. Now, I understand Voss is in a difficult situation. I, I get it because you're, you're never going to be able to appeal to that, that fringe. And I don't know what he means when he says he thinks there's widespread fraud. I don't know if he means that there were situations where he doesn't believe clerks followed the law because they had drop boxes or whatever, or whether he believes that there was, I don't know, all sorts of people who cast votes that weren't allowed to do it. I, I hope it's not that because there's no evidence of that. And suggesting to people that there might have been widespread fraud in the sense of people who weren't entitled to vote voting that caused the election to change, if that's what he's saying shame on him because that, that the last thing we need to do is to say anything that inspires people to not have confidence in the election results if he wants to say we need to tighten up certain procedures to make sure laws are followed or laws are correctly interpreted it's fine but again the, the more ammunition you feed either the fringe of the republican party or the mainstream media the further you get away from us concentrating on what the real issues of 2022 are, like crime, like inflation, like COVID response, all those things. Just saying. Lots of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Brewers baseball, first pitch, 255 this afternoon. Good to have baseball back. As I said at the start of the show, um, indulge me for a moment, please. Um, let me, uh, for a personal moment here. Um, this is, and I just sent out a tweet about this. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 This is a bittersweet day for me because today is the last day at WTMJ for my show producer, um, Kyle, also known as Gru, who after four four or five years is moving on to new challenges in the radio industry and I, I didn't want this to his departure to go without being noticed I, I very much appreciate all he's done for me over the last few years and, and I wish him absolutely nothing but success you know I, I just 
I, I always comment, I think I've been here 24 years at WTMJ, and I think uh, Kyle is my sixth producer, which means I'm averaging about you know one every four years or so, which, which seems to be kind of about right. And one of the things that I've always been struck with is my name is the one on the show. Well, it's the Jeff Wagner Show, and people will come up, and you like the show or you, you don't, and, and that's great. But the truth is my program does not happen without a really, really talented group of people who, who work behind the scenes, whether it's the folks who work in the sales department who are going out and meeting the partners and, and selling the advertising and things like that, together, of course, with our with our partners, or whether it's the, the marketing people that are coming up with the, the different ideas, or whether it's, it's our administrators, our assistant program director and our program director and our managers who are trying to keep me from veering too far off the course that I should be on, or whether it's the people that you know, work in our what we call our traffic department, which in the radio industry is they're the ones that schedule the the ads and stuff that you hear. I mean, but the the point is there, there's all these people who work behind the scenes. And from my perspective, as a host of a talk show, there's nobody more important than than the producer, the the person who's responsible again for keeping me on track, which sometimes is a is a bigger effort than you might imagine. And it's not just screening the phone calls that that that's an element of it. But it's you know helping out with all the production stuff. It's suggesting ideas. It's just keeping the trains on the line. Nobody, nobody is able to succeed as a talk show host unless you you have a, a good producer who's working with you. And there's no question. I have been very very fortunate in all the years I've been at WTMJ to have worked with some exceptional producers. And Kyle is certainly in that category. Of the six producers I've had, I'm actually very. Fit proud of the fact that including Kyle who's going to be staying in the radio industry um, three of them ha- have managed to stay in in the radio industry and the other uh, the other three are very successful at what they're doing as well so it, it's I've really been very fortunate with that and I I just sometimes we don't acknowledge that and we don't acknowledge I think at least if you're in a position like mine you don't acknowledge all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to allow you to put a successful program on oh before I forget I, the engineers as well who do a great job <laughs> trying to deal with all sorts of issues and keep us on the air but there, there's all these different people that these moving parts that allow me to do the, the show and communicate to you five days a week you know three hours a day but like I say um, an integral role is of course the role that's played by the radio producer and um, I didn't I didn't want the program to end and us to get kind of caught up with things and just run out of time without me wanting to say publicly acknowledge and acknowledge um, all the contributions that Kyle has made over the course of the last uh, several years and just publicly say how much I appreciate his efforts and I have no doubt that he's going to be a great success and just like a couple of my other producers, may very well be in a situation someday when they're firing me. What what can you say? That, you know that that's always the possibility that's out there. But um, we will we will persevere. But when you call up on the phone, um, you're, you're going to hear a different voice starting on Monday answering the call. So thank you, Kyle, for all that you have done. We're going to take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Producer Kyle, on his last day at WTMJ, getting some love on our text line. Good luck, Kyle. Jeff, there have been times I've called in, Kyle has answered and said, is this Gary from Portage? That's special. Yeah, 
<laughs> I, I guess it, it, it could be that way, and we're, we're always glad to hear from from you, Gary. There's probably some people where Kyle would call up and say, oh, my gosh, it's just so-and-so again. But through that all, he has had great humor, and, again, I wish him the best of success. Send out a little personal note as well on my Twitter account. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Okay, um, we're, we're going to go into Pop Culture Corner a little bit earlier today because we've got a 255 out time, but not quite yet. I wanted to tell a quick story, and, and just in the few minutes that we have before we're going to do that, see if anybody else has, can relate to this. So in the last week or so, was coming back from something, I, I was going to say late at night, but I, I don't know, is 10.30 late at night? Yeah, it's a, so it's like 10.30. And I had gone to the thing, I hadn't had dinner. So, and I think, I'm not sure there's that much at the house to eat. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this would be a great time. I would love to stop at some place and just get a quick bite to eat, like a diner, just, just something. Grab something to eat, you know, b- before I go home. It's about 1030. I, I couldn't find anything that was open. All these places that used to be open, say, like 24 hours, even like the Denny's and stuff, places like that, the, the all-night diners, they're... You know, what happened was they all closed, you know, during the pandemic. And a lot of these places, even if they have reopened, they're, they're not open 24 hours anymore. They, they can't find people, what, whatever this might be. But the era of the late night dining is pretty much gone. Now, I've, I've been thinking about this for a while because it happened to me a week or 10 days ago. Big story in the Wall Street Journal today. Late night diners mourn the loss of late night diners. Restaurants' daytime hours are mostly back, but many all-night spots never reopened. Night shift workers, students, and night owls are adrift. And, you know, then the story goes on to talk about all these places all over the country that used to be open late, and now it's pretty much gone. Good luck Good luck trying to find that. Story goes on to talk about how these various Denny's restaurants that were located in California, the, the interesting thing is when they made the decision to close, one of the things that they noticed is because they had always been open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including New Year's Day, Christmas Day, etc. You know what they noticed? They had never put locks on the door. There were no locks on the door. So once they had to close, they said, oh, my gosh, here's what we got to do. We're going to have to finally put locks on the doors. So for a lot of people, I mean, and I'm, I'm just wondering, and I, for me, it's an inconvenience because I, I work normal hours. But I, I'm trying to imagine what it must be like for the people who, for example, work second shift. And, you know, you work second shift, so you get off at 11, you get off at 11.30 at night, and you're used to stopping. At, you, you want to grab a bite to eat. And I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, finding a bar that might be open at 11 or 11.30 to have a couple of drinks. But I'm talking about you want to, you know, you want to, you want to stop off and you want to have that, that sandwich. You want to have the bite to eat or whatever, and it's, it's not there. Now, one of our texters says, I stopped at a Taco Bell late night drive through not long ago. The line was going out to the driveway. Well, I'm sure it was because if Taco Bell stays up open late, whatever that might be, they, they pretty much got the market cornered because all these other places that were used to there that was, were there and existed to service the late night clientele, you know, the insomniacs among us, the second shift workers, um, maybe it, it's the... I, I don't know, the third shift workers who are getting off at 6 in the morning, things like that. 
Um, it's amazing how that's there. Jeff, even Best Buy has cut back hours. The Fox Point store is now only open till 7 p.m. every day. Used to be 9 o'clock for most days. Yeah, this, it is just one of these realities. Now, I don't know if there's still a lot of the 24-7 places that are out there. Um, and m- maybe there's still places that you could go to get a bite to eat. But at least where I was looking for a place, you know, good luck. It, it just wasn't there. And that's, that's really too darn bad. Um, but it's part, will it ever come back? I sure hope so. But right now, if you're one of those late-night diners, good luck. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Yeah, we're doing Pop Culture Corner a little bit early today because we've got an earlier out time because of Brewers baseball. And on his last day here, producer Kyle Grew is making sure that, trying to do everything he can to make sure that I do not screw up that out time. So I appreciate that. And that, that's going to be my gift to him. I want to try to make sure we do this like we're supposed to. So we do this approximately this time every Friday. If you're a new listener, we call it Pop Culture Corner. And it's our moment to, to kind of get away from all the the heavy-duty stuff that we talk about, the war in Ukraine and all the political stuff and inflation, and kind of have a little bit of fun as we go into the weekend. And sometimes we talk about movies and sometimes music and sometimes TV issues and sometimes food, sometimes travel. It just kind of all depends on, on what interests me during the course of a week that I hope I can turn into something that is interesting for you. Uh, Today's topic comes from the world of sports. Now, there's a lot of reasons for it. This is this is a huge time for sports fans because you've got um, the the NFL free agency and gearing up for the draft. You've got the NCAA basketball tournament that's going on, including the games that are in Milwaukee today. You've got baseball that is starting. Did I mention? You know, we're, we're going to have our first Brewers baseball game coming up at 2:55. You've got the NBA season that is heating up. All sorts of other things going on as well. But so I thought we, we talk a little bit about sports. Now, during the two o'clock hour, the one o'clock hour of the program, we discussed the whole concept of Devontae Adams, you know, leaving the Packers. And I, I think, I mean, I, I wish him the, the very best. And it's taking nothing away from the, the success that he's had a pl- as a player. And he's clearly a great player. There, there's no doubt about it. And as somebody who had an opportunity to go to a series of, of Green Bay Packers games and, and see some of the catches that he made, just an amazing player. And that's one of the things that, to me, is so much fun uh, about about sports because you, you get to go, and when you show up at a game, you never know what you're going to see. Now, most games, you go there, and, you say, and, and it's going to be sort of a typical athletic sort of performance in the game. Maybe your team wins. Maybe the team loses. You know, maybe you see a couple really good plays. Maybe you see a couple great plays. Maybe you see a couple bonehead plays. You, you see all that type of stuff, but that's one of the great things about live sports and, and watching the athletes perform that, that you never exactly know what's going to happen. But every once in a while... You have an opportunity to go to a sporting event in person. It's one of the reasons why I love going to sporting events in person, because every once in a while, you have an opportunity to see greatness. And by that, I mean you have an opportunity to see a player who is clearly head and shoulders, maybe above the the average player, just a great player. 
player. And I thought, given everything that's going on in the world of sports right now, we would spend some time for Pop Culture Corner. And here is my question. The greatest player that you ever saw perform in person and that's that's the criteria. Can't be on TV. Can't have read about them. But you had to watch the player perform in person. And it doesn't necessarily mean, hey, I was there when I saw this incredible achievement. I'm not asking you what the greatest athletic achievement you were ever in attendance for. I'm just saying, okay, think about all the sports and think about the events you've attended. Baseball, basketball, auto racing, hockey, boxing, whatever that may be. What's who is the greatest player that you ever saw in person? Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, as I always say during these segments, I always encourage you um, call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. In addition, um, don't overthink it. Sometimes people, oh, I, this is the person that I think I think Robin Yount's the greatest. Oh, well, people agree with me. I don't know. No, just just go with your first instinct. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I will start because I I. I was, I've been trying to give this a lot of thought today. You know, who do I think would necessarily qualify in, in that category? And not a Milwaukee player, and I'm willing to be talked out of this, but I have to say, I think Mike, uh, Michael Jordan in his prime, I had, you know, I had the opportunity to go to, you know, several Bucks games when Jordan was in his prime. And that's the caveat. I mean, later on towards the end of his career when he came back and was playing for Washington, he, he wasn't the same player he was. But Michael Jordan in his prime, I thought was something incredible to watch. Uh, he just, he, he was able, there's lots of great basketball players, but I guess I just thought Michael Jordan in his prime was at, at a level that just nobody else was close to. And you know what? And I, and I guess I haven't changed that position as I, I watched like the, the documentary on the last dance and stuff. There was something in my mind about the way Michael Jordan played, whether it was his athletic ability or his will to win or, or all of that combined, but he was an incredible competitor. And I guess if I had to answer the question, my, who's the greatest player that I ever saw in person, I think it would be Michael Jordan. But there's going to be a lot of other great ones as well. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The greatest athlete that you ever saw in person. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Michelle in Grafton. Michelle, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, when I was really little, my dad was the secretary and treasurer of the Milwaukee Braves. And so I, I got to see, well, many greats like Warren Spahn and Eddie Matthews and Hank Aaron. They were all, you know, on the team. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Bob Uecker, of course, <laughs> and yeah. um, but I, we had the privilege of going on their jet as well, and I sat in Henry Aaron's lap and played peekaboo with him, <laughs> and I remember him as such a great man, really loving and really kind, and he and my dad remained great friends um, until my father's death. Yeah, thanks for calling, Michelle. You know, I, I just, I never... You know, if you if you were to talk to, for example, Bud Selig, I think he would tell you unhesitatingly that Henry Aaron was the greatest base was the greatest player that he ever saw. Um, I just 
Now, my caveat, my, I, I said it has to be people that you saw in person. And, and the truth is, I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't around for like the Braves years here. And I mean, I saw Henry Aaron in person when he came back at the end of his career, you know, and finished as a Milwaukee Brewer and stuff. And, and I take nothing away from his greatness. I, I just didn't see him in person in those, those great years. But you can't go wrong with that. Jason in Sheboygan. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I remember distinctly it was 1997. I was a Lambeau Field, huge Cowboys fan. And uh, I, that's right when Green Bay was, I mean, they were just getting pounded by Dallas before that. But Deion Sanders, um, uh-huh. I remember going to that game, and I said to my buddy, I said, I can't wait because I'm a Cowboys fan to, to watch Deion pick off Favre from high step in the end zone and he goes, I'll, I'll buy your ticket if that happens. I'll pay you back. And right before half, Dion takes one from the 50-yard line, high steps right to the end zone. Going into half, yeah. it's 10-10. I think Green Bay ended up winning 41-10. But Dion Sanders was the best cornerback, the best athlete. I still think to this day he's the only one to go to a World Series and a Super Bowl. And uh, yeah. he, he was just a tremendous athlete. Yeah, thanks for calling, Chase. I'm glad you mentioned that because Neon Deion Sanders was not only a, a great, a really great football player, but yeah, he was. He also, you know, was was a baseball player that had amazing success. At least in of of my generation, the only other person that I could think of would would be uh, Bo Jackson, who was also just a great football player, who also, you know, was very very successful at playing baseball as well. I think a hip injury ultimately derailed him. To show you how hard that is. Though I mean, just keep. I, I was talking earlier about Michael ja- Michael Jordan, who, in, in my opinion, like I say, he's he, he's I think the best basketball player of all time, and he's the greatest athlete that I ever saw in person. But it, but I mean, he remember he he dropped out of, of basketball and, and he went and he started trying to play baseball, and he was never able to. I, I mean, maybe he had a cup of coffee in the big league, but he was just he was not. He he was he could not translate the the incredible skills he had in basketball. He couldn't translate them into you know playing playing baseball, which isn't to say he wasn't a really good baseball player and a great athlete. But it shows how different it is and how hard it is to have though to be able to achieve in in both those sports. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Great topic. Good. What do you think? Your favorite? Your best? Well, obviously- best you ever saw. So obviously, being from Illinois and close to Chicago, I saw Jordan play several times, and I thought of him. But um, I was very close to Jack Nichols and Arnold Palmer um, on the golf course one time, and the greatness that those guys have was just, I mean, and I guess like growing up with my dad, a big golf fan and a big Arnold Palmer and Jack Nichols fan, I just felt like I was in, among greatness. And, yeah. you know, it was just amazing being around those guys. Yeah, thanks for calling, Mike. I, I um. Again, it's one of those deals where my my thing was you got to see him in person. I, I never had an opportunity to see Arnold Palmer in person in his prime or Jack Nicholas in person in 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 their prime. And I um, I attended a handful of golf events, but um, every, I think you could certainly make that argument. The the other argument, maybe I haven't had a chance to look through all the texts we're getting here, but I, I think certainly Tiger Woods in, in his prime. I mean, Tiger Woods was another. I mean, he was just head and shoulders for uh, a 
period of several years, he was head and shoulders above, you know, all all the other players. And, and you, you got to you you got to give him credit for that. I'm also told that Arnold Palmer was, as in Jack Nicholas, was just an incredibly nice guy. That, I mean, I, I know people who have had interactions with Arnold Palmer and with Jack Nicholas, and they both talk about how just really. What really good guys they were. Mike in Brookfield. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, Jeff, I agree with your first caller, number 44, Henry Aaron. Okay, did you see him play? He was the best ball player. Yes, I did. Back in the uh, back in early uh, back to early 1962, 1962 yeah. era. Right. And sure. uh, like I say, greatest ball player I'll ever see. Yeah. No. Th- thanks for the call. He he certainly. I mean, he he had it all. There's um, you know, and I think you know you would certainly put Hank Aaron up there with Willie Mays, uh, Roberto Clemente, whose career was cut short by the um, by an unfortunate plane crash. But uh, I mean, if you would argue, you know, if you would if you tell me Henry Aaron, I'm not going to argue with you at all. Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Jeff. Hi, Bob. Uh, in, in, 19, in, in 1985, uh, the year, I want to remind everyone here in Wisconsin, the year that the Chicago Bears <laughs> won the Super Bowl, uh, uh, because I take a lot of abuse up here. Uh, it's now, all, of course, you, it's reali- all you realize, it's Bob, it has, been, it has been 37 years. You do realize that. <laughs> but, yes, 85, glory year. I got it. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hear, oh, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Walter Payton, I'm telling you, uh, we escorted, I, I rode a motorcycle to the Miami-Dade Police Department, and we escorted the Chicago Bears to what was then the Orange Bowl. It's no longer in existence. Right. And, and that happened to be, and that happened to be the only game that year that the Bears uh, came out on the short end. But Walter Payton, I'm telling you, uh, on and off the field, class, class, class act. And, and it only, and it only, you know, they talk about the good dying young. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, no. Hey, thanks for the call, Bob. Absolutely. You know, the if you want to go back a little bit farther, and, and again, my, my, my caveat for this segment was it had to be somebody you've seen in person. You know, as long as we're going to talk about the Chicago Bears, I, I think – Gail Sayers might go down in history along with Jim Brown, but Gail Sayers might might have been the the best running back ever, and I, I never I never saw him perform in person. I mean, I I can remember watching him watching games where he played against the Packers, for example, and just you know ate him up. I mean, Gail Sayers was an incredible player. There, there's no question about it. And and just like you know Walter Payton came afterwards. Both just incredibly tremendous. I just never saw him. Um, I never saw him in person, Jeff. I know it isn't football or baseball or basketball, but in my lifetime, uh, the, the outstanding sports figure was Dale. Earnhardt and his son Dale Earnhardt Jr. in NASCAR. I got to see both of them race live in the stands. Um, yeah, you've got that there, um, Jeff. Uh, don't forget about guys like Kelly Slater, pro surfer, or Tony Hawk, pro skateboarder. Um, yeah, no question about it. Jeff, for me, it was Mario Andretti. Jeff, for me, Chipper Jones of the Atlanta Braves. Jeff, I think it's Giannis. I have seen him play 17 times, and the Bucks have lost only two of those times. I think there is a possibility that if Giannis continues on the career path that he is on, uh, there's no question that if we do this topic 10 years from now, 
we're all together and we're having this conversation 10 years from now, I, I don't think there's any question that a lot of people are, are going to say Giannis. Giannis. To me, Jeff, it's, it's Robin Yount. Well, Robin Yount's a great player, and he's also um, just an absolutely great person, no question about it. Jeff, I'm 60 years old. I've been to a lot of sporting events. I've seen all these great players. In my time period, one of the best to watch was Curly O'Neill um, from the Globetrotters. Huh, interesting. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see, uh, Andy in Burlington says, I agree with your choice of Michael Jordan, a consummate athlete and a team player. I met him once in person, a genial and humble human being. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I was at dinner about a week or two ago with a guy that used to run a convenience store kind of down the street from where Michael Jordan first lived when he was first drafted by the Bulls. And he was telling me the story about how Jordan would come in every day in the morning before practice and buy a donut and like three of the local newspapers. And then he'd stop by on the way home for practice whenever the, the whenever they were in town. And he'd buy like these chicken wings or something that they had. He got to know Jordan on a first name basis, you know, when, when Jordan was just starting out. Jeff, for me, it's Brett Favre. Jeff, for me, it's Gail Sayers. Um, Jeff, I was at the stadium to see Robin Yount's 3,000th hit. Robert Robin Yount, of course, had just an outstanding career as well. Jeff, I was at the Eastern Conference Final in Chicago. Michael Jordan was absolutely amazing to watch live. Um, one of our texters from the world of tennis, Bjorn Borg, who was an incredibly dominant player. Jeff, for me, it was Pete Rose. Yeah, Pete Rose's greatness gets lost on, in all the, the problems and that the fact that, you know, as a human being, Pete Rose might not be that great a guy, but he was certainly a great player. Jeff, I thought there was none better than Brett Favre. Well, Brett Favre was frustrating, but there's no question he was also great as well. There's just no doubt about that. Jeff, for me, um, I, it's Giannis. I'm 59 years old. I love Giannis. Jeff, I saw... Um, I saw Lou Alcindor before Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Well, you know, Lou Alcindor is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's just an absolutely great player. Jeff, for me, it was Kobe Bryant. Yeah, he got Kobe Bryant as well. Jeff, I met Gail Sayers one afternoon at a bar in Carbondale, Illinois, when he was an athletic director there. Nice guy, huge bodyguard accompanied him. I got an autograph. Jeff, for me, it was Larry Bird. Um, since college, we played against him his sophomore year at Indiana State. We lost in overtime. That's a great story to tell. You played Larry Bird, and he beat you. Let's take a quick break. Back to wrap up in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A couple late entries to the Pop Culture Corner. Um, one saying Mike Tyson. And, you know, Mike Tyson, again, another very troubled sort of guy, but there was a period of time Mike Dice Tyson was as dominant a fighter as anybody. Another uh, from the world of boxing saying Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, amazing as well. There, there's no question about it. That's the great thing about sports, and that's the great thing about athletics. You just, every once in a while, you just find yourself in the presence of, of greatness. You know, you talk about great baseball players. Christian Yelich, I understand he's been struggling for the last year and a half. I think he's a special player as well. All right. Early out time today because Brewers baseball is coming up in just a couple minutes. When it comes to your radio listening, I know you have a lot of different choices. I really do appreciate you spending the last three hours and all week with me. I'm back 12 noon on Monday when we do it all again. Have a great weekend. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.